My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and an MBA graduate of the University of Texas at Austin. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the hope of bringing together a community of business people striving to bless the world. In this podcast, we'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And I'll pass it over to Kurt Frankham, who will host this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. And today I have the opportunity to connect with Darren Hill. How are you, Darren? I'm doing great. It's awesome to have a chance to talk with you, Kurt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, then this is a little atypical for the interviews that we do here because uh, I guess we'll put this right out there. Darren is my first cousin, and that's why he's a genius. Or is that why I'm a genius? I don't know, Darren. Right. No, it definitely flows from you to me. Oh, yes, yes. And I'm grateful. <laughs> Nice. And so, uh, yeah, I, I recommended Darren's name early on, uh, to those, uh, you know, the Latter-day Saint MBA society and, and, uh, others recommended his name as well. And so here we are recording and, uh, you know, Darren, this will be cool because you've, you're the oldest cousin on, uh, you know, our mother's side of, of the family. And, uh, you know, I've always, we've had a good relationship. You were always the cousins that lived out in Missouri. So I didn't necessarily get a lot of exposure to you growing up, but it was cool to see your example and it'll be fun to sort of jump in in this context and maybe learn more about uh, my good cousin, Darren. So you ready for this? Absolutely. It's a mutual admiration, Kirk. I've always awesome. loved uh, what you've done and watching your success and especially your success in building podcasts. Yeah. It's amazing. Your well, work thank with you. Saints has been something I've loved the entire time and love being a supporter of what you do and the way you inspire others. Awesome. Well, I'll uh, ask some questions and pretend like I don't know the answer, but even though I, I may know... <laughs> But uh, the first question is, maybe let's just start with your background. Obviously, you grew up in Missouri on a farm. Uh, how would you describe, you know, your early development, especially your faith development? Oh, sure. You bet. Well, um, it was actually a lot of faith of my parents that took us there. Uh, my mom and dad have been an incredible example of faith to me. Uh, they lived in Utah, uh, had a, a new home they had just built. Um, had a business that was thriving on a main street here in a town and uh, that they were growing and um, uh, separately each of them started having this feeling that they were supposed to be somewhere else that their family was supposed to be somewhere else but things were going so great for their family and their business they didn't want to entertain that idea let alone bring it up uh, to each other and so when they finally did share that, one of them shared it with the other, um, and they discovered that both of them had this feeling. They thought, well, we really ought to discuss this and pray about it. And so they made it a, a matter of prayer, and, and they both had the same feeling. We are not suppo we're supposed to be moving somewhere, hmm. and they didn't know where. Um, my dad had served his mission in the upstate New York mission, and, uh, and so uh, he said, well, what if we just go check that area out? And, uh, and my mom had, had grown up for a good portion of her time with your mom yep. uh, and just in Detroit or just outside of Detroit, um, uh, where our grandma and grandpa were uh, living at the time and had a great experience there. And so she said, let's check that out. And so on the, on the way, they, they, they hit the road and started driving out there. And on the way, they stopped at uh, our great uh, uncle Bill and great aunt Joanne's place in uh, Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Uh, or near Kansas City, and 
and uh, for a visit, told her what she, they were doing. And she said, well, just stay here one day and check out properties around here. We'd love to have some relatives. We're the only ones out here. And um, so they did. And she matched them up with a realtor and they decided to go check out some properties. And um, uh, one of the ones they looked at was a small farm. And uh, as soon as they got out of the car, they both looked at each other, had the same feeling that was an impression from the spirit that said, you're supposed to be here. And, uh, and they purchased that uh, farm and my dad sold his business and they sold their house in Utah and moved us to Missouri where we grew up. And it was, it's a great example of faith because he didn't even have a, you know, a source of income there, but uh, he was willing to follow the spirit. And within two weeks he had a great job and, and, and we had an incredible adventurous, um, uh, faith promoting, uh, uh, a growing up period there on our farm with our little branch. Yeah. And, and I know your uh, my uncle Weldon, your dad, he was into insurance most of his career. Is that right? Did that influence sort of your career path or what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. Um, well, my dad's skills definitely influenced me a lot. Um, my dad is very uh, entrepreneurial. He's, uh, uh, you know, he worked as an independent insurance agent, as you pointed out, and, uh, and also as a certified financial planner. And, and then he uh, got his securities license and became a stockbroker. And in each of those cases, um, you know, I mean, he basically had to go out and create his own income. Uh, he worked with an agency uh, that was a great agency, but he had to go out every day and create those opportunities. And, uh, that takes a lot of drive and motivation. Uh, it's not easy to do. And then simultaneous to that, uh, the agency he worked with did not have their uh, didn't have a retirement plan. So he had to figure out how do I how do I provide for a retirement as well. And so he would go out and uh, he and my mom would would um, they started off by purchasing one home, renting it, and uh, and as soon as they got pot cash flow positive, they uh, purchased another one, and they just kept doing that over and over and over again until they had 52 rental homes. And uh, uh, so that became their retirement. And um, uh, and we got to spend a lot of time working in those homes side by side with my dad, you know, mowing lawns, um, uh, fixing things, plunging toilets and uh, painting, all the all the kinds of things you get to do with that. And uh, and so seeing my seeing my mom and dad in those situations made it uh, I had an incredible example of hard work and innovation and find a way. Yeah. And then in those development years, especially as a teenager, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do as, you know, as you were approaching your adult life? Uh, uh, just the same sense anyone else does, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, at one point I wanted to be a policeman and at another point I wanted to be an astronaut and another point I wanted to be a doctor. Um, uh, at another point I wanted to be a scientist. Um, uh, and my parents were great in helping us explore any of the things that we had interest in, um, giving us opportunities to learn about those career paths and what it would take to do uh, those uh, various career paths, what education, introducing us to people who were uh, doing those kinds of things, um, with the exception of the astronaut. I never got to meet an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, they, they always fostered the, the sense that we are children of God and we can, we can, uh, we have infinite potential. And, and if we just like study the principles associated 
with whatever it is we're seeking, whatever blessing it is we want, then we could go down that road and, and apply those principles, live those laws and get that education and experience and achieve anything. Yeah. And I know you've had uh, an awesome opportunity to raise some great kids in your, in your own family. And as they've gone through those teenage years and now they're, you know, they're all young adults or, or older teenagers, how has that influenced sort of how you approach them and encourage them into, into this uh, scary world we live in? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a scary world sometimes. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the joyful part is, is having the opportunity to, uh, have great experiences with my parents and then be able to turn around and be a parent and uh, to have the opportunity to identify kind of the unique skills and character traits that uh, innately are already a part of each one of our children that makes them so different from each other. And then to encourage them uh, to pursue the things that are uh, things that they want to do, but also things, not just things that they want to do, because I think that that can take people down paths that make it hard for them to support a family or that make it hard for them to um, uh, maybe be really good at what it is, um, but to really try to um, get three things together. The first thing is what they're passionate about and what they want for sure, but also something that they can be the best in the world at or really great at. Hmm. Um, and then uh, thirdly, and we think uh, it's, it's, it's very practical, but it's also very pertinent. And that is, you know, something that can help you achieve the goals, you know, and if your goal is to support a family, then it's got to find some way to do that. You know, um, I, I know if I were left to just doing the, what I'm passionate about, I would enjoy surfing every day, but I'm not good enough at it to make a living at it. So I can't make that my career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know that you've uh, had some great opportunities to expose your kids to, you know, you've taken them traveling and experienced different cultures and whatnot. It was that, uh, I mean, obviously, it's fun to travel and whatnot. But uh, has there been any sort of method to that, that approach of, are you just always trying to, ex you know, expose them to different cultures or places or, you know, or just have fun with their kids? Is there anything else to that? Well, definitely to have fun. That's a yeah. big one. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of my goals in life is to is to be the fun dad and to be the fun husband and to be the the fun uncle. Um, You're a fun cousin too, Darren. Hey, so. well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Likewise, likewise. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of reason uh, for us to pursue that because I mean, one of the yeah. purposes of us to be here is to have joy. And uh, so, like, while I love being a uh, focused on a goal and and achieving those goals, I think those the uh, that uh, you gotta have a lot of fun along the way. So yeah, we've, yeah. we've focused on um, experiences and time in our family. Uh, we, we like to teach our kids that people are more important than things. So we don't focus on things very much. Um, we also adhere to the, to the thinking, the, the old adage that, you know, small minds talk about um, people, uh, average minds talk about things, and great minds talk about ideas. So we try to focus in on ideas um, and, and we want to make sure that uh, as we do that, that we have our kids have a, a chance to see ideas from all over the world, different cultures, uh, different religions, different languages, different foods. Um, and, and that's been just an incredible experience. So ever since our, uh, before we were married, my wife and I would travel together as if we ever had a little bit of extra money, um, we, even if it was just a tiny amount, we'd just do a road trip somewhere 
and, uh, and, and build some memories and some experiences. Um, and then after we started having children, we said, hey, we're never going to stop doing that no matter what. And we're going to bring our kids with us. Um, so we've always done that. And uh, it's given us the chance to be in uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of countries around the world and to have some incredible experiences. Um, one, of, one of those uh, is uh, working with a group called Rising Star uh, Outreach, hmm. uh, which is a group in India that helps children um, that have uh, and people that have been affected by leprosy. Wow. Uh, a, a lot of people don't know that, I mean, leprosy not is just not, in the Bible, right? <laughs> it's not just in the Bible, and it's yeah. not just 2,000 years ago. Right, right. Um, uh, in India and in a lot of other countries, they have large populations of people that have leprosy. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's still very similar in that uh, those people are ostracized to colonies. And so um, this great group, Rising Star, uh, what they do is um, they go and they work with the people who have leprosy and with their children. Um, oftentimes, these children are trained um, uh, from the youngest ages to go out to bag because they're very good at it. You know, they can get more money than their parents begging. And, uh, and, and people won't hire uh, their parents. Um, uh, a lot of public schools, even though it's the law that those children have to be given an education, a lot of um, times when they like go to a public school to get education, uh, the teacher will just turn their back and tell the other kids chase that, that child away. Hmm. And so they end up not getting an education, um, having the only op- not being able to get a job, and the only option being to beg. And uh, the founder of this group, Becky Rogers, um, found that uh, her daughter had been sending money every month as a student at UVU. Um, she'd been sending 20 bucks a month to this group in India um, to help people who were struggling with, with leprosy. And uh, uh, her daughter committed suicide. And when she came out to take care of her daughter's affairs, that's when she discovered this donation that was taking mm, wow. place. And she was trying to understand, you know, what was happening in the heart and mind of her daughter who struggled with mental health. And so she flew to India and met with this doctor who was receiving these $20 donations each month. And she went out and showed her these kids that were begging and how she provided food for them. And But she was just one person. And... Um, and, and Becky uh, was talking with her one day and said, you know, someone ought to do something about this and make it so it changes. And, uh, and she said, well, wait a minute, I'm somebody, I'm one person. And, um, and she said, if I do something, will you do it with me? And they formed a, a partnership and started Rising Star. They started a school. And so these kids could go to uh, a campus and have a chance to learn. Um, they started off with four students because um, uh, that's that's all the, the, the families that they could compete. Uh, convinced to let their kids come to school instead of, because they had to give up that income that the kids would get from begging. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they took it from there. And each year, um, the classes grew in size to where now we have about 600 kids. Um, and, uh, and these children get world-class education. Um, they score very, very highly on their state uh, tests. Um, and, and we have three things that Rising Star does. The first one is, is that we uh, have the school and the educational service. Um, we also go into the colonies and um, teach uh, their parents how to take care of themselves, how to uh, clean their wounds and take care of them. Uh, and so they don't get worse. Um, 
And then the third thing uh, is micro enterprise uh, and construction, which is where we teach them how to start businesses so they can provide for themselves because no one will hire them. Yeah. And uh, in the medical area, it's super profound because um, with leprosy, you lose the feelings uh, in your, ner your nerves in, in your extremities and it works from your extremities coming back to your core. So they lose the feeling in their hands and in their feet and so, you know, if you're cooking over a small fire uh, in your in your um, dirt floor home and you turn to get something and your foot is in the fire, you don't even know it's burning. Oh, wow. Or, or if you walk outside and you get a rock, you know, a, a pebble, a sharp pebble in your foot, you don't even know it's there and you're grinding it and grinding it and grinding it until it creates these burns or sores and they fester and they get infected. And then they have to amputate those. And you just see these people getting amputated more and more and more and more and more. And so what we do is we go out and we teach them how to, how to take care of those things, give them medications. And, um, and now they're like really good at doing that. Yeah. Um, and the businesses that they start have started have flourished, uh, to the point where some of their homes are nicer than those that are not in the colony. Oh, wow. And, uh, it's been impressive to see them, uh, grow and develop their skill sets, whether it be cutting hair or doing art, uh, or making jewelry or cheese or whatever it may be. So, yeah. Wow. That's uh, awesome. If, if somebody wants to learn more, get connected there, where's the, where's the best place to go? Rising star outreach. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, and you can take your kids there. You can take your spouse there. I learned about it from one of my employees who went there on his honeymoon oh, wow. uh, and they spent three months there serving. Uh, we took our kids there and, and some extended family members and just had an incredible experience. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things we like to do. When, when yeah. Travel. Yeah. And, and it brings a lot of purpose to life. That's one of the principles you talked about that we'll jump into here in a bit. I, I'm curious, you know, I remember as a young boy, uh, you were the first, really my first cousin on both sides of my family to, to serve a mission. I remember you get, being called to Australia and I thought that was so cool that you, <laughs> that you get to go to this magical place called Australia that I only learned about in, in Looney Tunes, uh, you know, cartoons and, and, and books. But um, what, uh, what, what sort of influence did that have on your professional life? Um, you know, coming back from, obviously there's many levels of influence that it has on, on your life, but what about just on your professional life? On my professional life, my mission had an enormous influence. Um, but first of all, it, uh, it taught me to focus in on things that are meaningful, right? Um, and uh, I know some people are not money, money motivated, but I am. I really love what uh, money lets you do. I think it, it lets you uh, do good more often and bigger ways and faster. Uh, so, so I love the effects that that can have. I think it's an accelerant on people. You know, if you're a jerk, it's just going to make you a bigger jerk faster. But if you're, if you're not, you can use those, <laughs> those things for good. Yeah. You know, and superpowers that you have. Yeah. Um, so, uh, on my mission, I met several people who helped me learn some of those things that were, uh, really helpful in my career. My mission president and his wife were essential to that. They were very entrepreneurial. Um, and so that planted some seeds, um, in addition to what my parents had planted. Um, I met some people on my mission who um, were entrepreneurs and I watched as they were young couples and how they had built uh, a business together. And, and that was something that helped me see you didn't have to wait till you were older to do that. Like mm -hmm. you could do that at a very young age. Um, and I remember helping them move into a home 
and it was a beautiful home. Like it was a really nice home and they were in their early twenties. And I, I asked them, I said, so do you mind if I ask, how can you afford this? And they said, because we own a business, you know, if I just went out and got a job, I wouldn't be able to afford this. And, uh, and they shared kind of their path on their entrepreneurial journey. And then uh, in another area, I, I met the, uh, we, we met and taught and baptized a great young man and, and his family owned a dry cleaners in the town. And he would have us come over on P-Day and he would dry clean all our stuff for free and teach us how to do it. And the whole time we would talk about the business because he was in his late 20s and how he was running that business. And then uh, there was another family that we taught who owned a haircutting studio and they would cut our hair for us. And it, I just met lots of entrepreneurs on my mission who helped reinforce that foundation that my parents had laid. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so give us the outline, the, the timeline, as far as your, your schooling, did you do some schooling at BYU before your mission? And then you finished at BYU and then what led to the decision to actually go to Duke? Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to go to BYU before my mission. I got accepted, but I didn't have enough money to go. Hmm. And so, um, so I went, I went where I could, where I got, you know, a full tuition scholarship, which was state fair community college. It's very oh, nice. This. Um, it's in Sedalia, Missouri. And, uh, and I love learning. Uh, I'm a lifelong learner. So I threw myself into that and, uh, had an incredible experience there my freshman year learning from great people. Um, who who are not well known anywhere around the world, but who are very dedicated teachers and wanted to make sure we had an awesome experience as we learned. So I really valued that. Um, then came back from my mission, um, still had that acceptance letter and was working towards getting there. So I worked for uh, a good chunk of time and then uh, got saved up enough money to come to BYU um, at Provo. And that gave me a really awesome experience there. So I finished my undergraduate degree at BYU, learned a lot of things there. And that was really where my personal entrepreneurial journey started. It gave me an opportunity to start a company. Um, uh, uh, it was actually our first uh, company that was uh, uh, making t-shirts. Mm -hmm. And uh, we rented a t-shirt um, facility, making facility a screen printing facility between midnight and 5 a.m., learned how to run the machines, hired an art, a graphic, graphic artist to make our designs, went and made t-shirts until 5 a.m., and then we would go sell them. Wow. And, um, so just you was, and, like, some college buddies? or Yeah, three college friends. Oh, cool. Amazing, great friends. And uh, we took that money and uh, turned it into uh, an advertising business where we would go out to restaurants after, after school and after work, and we would go uh, to restaurants and sell them advertising space on our daily specials and um and then we built a computer program that would um uh when we went to class in the morning uh the computer program would would send those daily specials out to businesses that were within walking distance of those restaurants who had signed with us hmm. as customers and uh that was a really, a really cool experience. We grew that in Utah um, and then ultimately down into Arizona. Um, uh, at the time, the, the, the daily lunch specials would go out, um, they would go on a fax machine so that we would send them from our computer out to companies' fax machines. And, and it was growing and it was getting bigger and it was exciting. Um, at the same time, uh, uh, as we looked forward, there were um, about 11 states that year 
that made a law that you could not send an unsolicited fax because you were using their paper and toner mm. um, without permission. And so as we saw that, and uh, and we we were all in, all four of us were in school still, full time and working jobs, part time jobs. It was like really intense, and uh, and we realized, you know what, like there are these these uh, legal headwinds coming, um, and uh, we've got we really need to focus on school and, and some other things. We decided that we would go ahead and shut that down, divided up the proceeds, and and started doing other things. Um, so I was fortunate enough then to work with uh, a couple of folks in starting a financial services company. That was a complete fail, hmm. like um, not successful at all. Uh, and then we started, uh, I started with my brother-in-law, a stucco company. And that's how um, we got ourselves through school for the rest of the undergraduate program. Nice. And then as you graduated from BYU, was the plan to always go to and get your MBA? I definitely wanted that. Um, you know, it's interesting you would ask that. So my mom made a blanket for me when I was, I think about four is when she gave it to me. And um, uh, it might've been a little younger than that. And it had pendants on it from Harvard, from Yale, from Duke, from BYU, you know, from well-known universities. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's incredible the effect that had on me because um uh, I, uh, I, I heard of MBAs. I knew what grad school was, but like, there was no like strong passion or drive to go and do that. Um, but I did know that at some point I wanted to go to um, BYU and I wanted to go to one of those other schools. Um, and so, uh, as I, as I graduated from BYU, I was so grateful that I had that opportunity to be there. Um, I, I will forever be grateful. I feel like BYU is a very, very special school. Um, there's nothing else like it in the world in terms of providing the um, uh, the perfect mix of both secular and spiritual education um, together. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. But yeah, um, when I when I went out to the workforce, built a few other companies, um, and then my wife shared that she was not... Uh, uh, as much a fan as of entrepreneurship as I was and, and would like to yeah. have more consistency and things like insurance and, um, uh, paycheck and stuff like that. Uh -huh. Um, we came to an agreement that, uh, I would go work for someone else, get a real job, so to speak. Um, and until we reached some financial goals and then, uh, once we reached those financial goals, I would go back to being an entrepreneur. So, so I went and did those things and, um, uh, on the way to doing that, uh, I had an opportunity to apply for a scholarship, uh, to do and got in and I was so excited. It was super fun. Nice. So that's, that's the educational journey. Yeah. Yeah. And so were there, um, th did you apply to various places or you saw that scholarship opportunity, got it and went to Duke or did you try for other, other no, I went just for that one opportunity? Oh, nice. Yeah, it was hard for me to see. Um, uh, it was hard for me to see uh, the value in taking time off of work full time mm -hmm. to go do a daytime MBA program. So I, I was looking at a lot of different uh, MBA programs, but they were all executive level programs or cross continent programs, mm. and uh, that had a lot more flexibility. So I can could continue on my career uh, path while getting that and. Yeah. Uh, and this was just the perfect fit because it was 
uh, an executive uh, program. We spent just as much time in class as, as the daytime students did. Um, but in, you know, every, uh, every other month we got together for that chunk of time. And, uh, and it was cross-continent with uh, Frankfurt, Germany um, and uh, Raleigh, Durham. And then uh, 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 it was an executive program so I could keep working in my, in my career and progressing there too. So it was like, yeah. it was the trifecta for me. Yeah. And with the hindsight of, of attending, you know, MBA school and I mean, what, looking back, like what advice would you give to a brand new MBA student, maybe even a brand new MBA student who's attending Duke? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I love my experience at Duke. It was a great school, awesome professors. Some of them are world famous and, uh, uh, uh it helped me value Duke. It helped me value BYU even more than mm -hmm. I did because I saw like pretty much everything we studied in my first year at Duke, I had already learned at BYU in my mm -hmm. undergraduate program. So just a, it really highlighted how great that BYU experience was. Um, in terms of the MBA experience uh, and what advice I would share, uh, be all in, you know, like, uh, and not just on the homework and the assignments and the grades, like that's important, um, but be all in on learning and applying the things that you have, like to real world situations and real companies. Um, it's so easy to get myopic there and to, and to worry about, you know, the next project that you got to turn in instead of, Hey, this could affect my career for the next 20 years, or this could make me, um, you know, 10 times more valuable uh, to a team. Um, and most importantly, you know, the, the relationships that are built there with, with professors, with, uh, with fellow students, um, uh, and, and with alumni, like, like suck all of that up and, and use all of that and make it valuable. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and we'll jump into some of these, uh, principles that you sent me beforehand and we've touched on them a little bit, but, uh, the first one being just this perspective that the business is noble and compassionate capitalism is one of the best ways to do good. How, anything else that you would add to that? Yeah. Um, so I, I've spent a lot of time uh, working uh, with uh, charitable, philanthropic nonprofits uh, throughout my life. Uh, my parents, again, were great examples of that. They were always volunteering. They were always donating. They were always just finding someone in need. I remember one Christmas, um, uh, well, actually, uh, that wasn't even Christmas. I don't even know what the holiday was but because it was warm. Um, that we, uh, my mom and dad piled us in the car and like literally had to like tuck us around these boxes, tuck us kids around these boxes that uh -huh. filled the trunk in the back seat. And, and, and they had several, you know, that were on the passenger seat uh, on my mom's lap, um, as we drove and we went to this person's house and, uh, and, uh, and we were, you know, basically delivering clothes and food to this family that had been out of work for a long time and just were in desperate need. And I remember another time helping my dad sneak someone's car away um, from their place to take it to a mechanic and get it fixed and then sneak it back to him while they were out of town. And uh, just, uh, I've had a great example of parents in terms of finding meaning. And uh, so as I became, started to become an entrepreneur and have entrepreneurial experiences, I wanted to keep that volunteerism and that service in my life. And, um, 
and I've been very blessed to be able to do that in a lot of ways. But uh, one of those ways is uh, uh, there's a great another great group called Mothers Without Borders. And I'm, I hope you don't mind if I like plug them too. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's a it's a great group that does work uh, in a number of countries, but mostly in Zambia and Africa. And uh, we have a feeding program where we feed more than three thousand students or children a day. We have a school. Um, uh, we have a, uh, a center for children who are orphans and also children who uh, uh, need intensive uh, help. Um, we have a, a program for teaching women and mothers how to become entrepreneurs. And, and again, micro microfinance and entrepreneurship. And uh, I've just uh, seen incredible opportunities like abroad and here where we work with Dahlia's Way, um, the Family Support and Treatment Center, um, uh, a number of uh, uh, the Other Side Academy in Salt Lake that's incredible in helping oh, yeah. people that are incarcerated uh, start new lives and, and, and be productive, wonderful members of society. Um, we've just always chosen a charity of choice as a family uh, and as uh, each business that we've started to work with hmm. and so that we can we can make a great impact. So I share that by saying your question was um, like, how are businesses noble and doing this greater good? Right. Yeah. Like you can do greater good in all of these other areas, but just the fact that you create a job or that you give someone health insurance and the opportunity to um, have their child, you know, uh, get health care when they're sick or get braces when they need them or get glasses or uh, be able to go to college, like all of those things create, like I feel like business creates all these social good uh, goods that are just, uh, there's, there's no other great way to do it. Our, our, our country system has created uh, an amazing um, uh, factory, if you will, of creating opportunities for individuals and to excel and to, be, to reach their full potential and families to grow and 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 to be strong and resilient and educated and um and together i yeah. think that's what that's the real the real purpose of business for me yeah and I, I would imagine it's easy to sort of you know you go into a professional career you go through mba school you think i'm you know i'm gonna get this mba gonna get a fantastic job and just sort of grind it out for 20 30 years and then you know then i'll have that philanthropy uh retirement type of, uh -huh. of approach but it sounds like i mean it, with any business you start you're always thinking like okay is there a nonprofit we can loop into this or how or or just or recognizing the simple benefits that come from starting a business rather than just chasing the bottom line that's right yeah um clayton christensen uh talks about this a lot in his book how will you measure or how will you measure your life yeah uh, where he talks about um the social good that we do as we build companies and businesses. Um, and we can do that as an entrepreneur or we can do it as an entrepreneur, right? Being innovative mm -hmm. while just uh, being an employee. And um, uh, there, there are so many goods that come from that. And to your point, you don't have to wait until some future date when you've arrived. In yeah. fact, you're not likely to do it then if you don't do it now. So, you know, we have, we work with entrepreneurs who are pre-revenue, who have like no income and they're just like making it happen. And they can still work with any of these groups that we work with as volunteers and create a culture of service and of giving. And, and that takes zero dollars. 
it takes commitment and time. And uh, I, I think the widow's might is the best example of this, you know, where you have the, the highly wealthy people coming by and making a big show of what they're giving away um, uh, to the poor in the temple uh, donation. And, and then you have the widow that comes and gives that tiny, tiny coin, the smallest one that they had, and it was her all. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, all of us have the, the ability to do that from, from, from today on. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, next principle you talk about, you know, using the MB, your MBA to, to make your way and, and how do you capitalize on yeah. the MBA you're, you're investing money in. So, I mean, cause that's, a, you know, you go through this MBA school and you, you make it, you survive. And then it's like, now what, you know, how can I really leverage the investment that an individual's made on an MBA? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So in my, uh, in my, uh, K-12 years, you know, high school and growing up, uh, and then into my undergraduate program, I was very, very focused on on excelling and doing my best. Like I love to learn, but I wanted to show that I knew because I wanted good grades. Um, and, uh, and my parents encouraged that, right? They wanted us to achieve our full potential and do our best. Um, and I also knew like I needed scholarships, like I needed those scholarships. And so if I wanted those, I had to have good grades. So I, throughout all of that, through uh, through high school and through college, I focused really, really hard on getting good grades, and so I could get, you know, uh, uh, some scholarships. When I got to grad school at Duke, I remember they announced at the beginning of our program that um, that uh, we would all be receiving grades and a GPA, but they were not going to um, in any way recognize the rank of the top ten students like they had in the past. Hmm. And, and that the purpose for that was that they wanted us to focus in on making sure we're learning and not, you know, just doing stuff to get a grade, but actually learning. And I remember um, talking to a buddy of mine at, at about halfway through the program. So that was the first thing that made me go, oh, there's a different way to look at this. Oh, yeah. And then I was talking to, to a buddy about halfway through the program. And I said, so what are your targets? Like, what are you shooting for on grades? And we had a group there and everyone was, we were all these type A you know, trying to get the A every time kind of thing. And he said, I'm not shooting for that. He said, I have four kids at home. I'm working a full-time job and I'm doing this. And I try to do some service and good in my life and play some sports. And for me to do all of that and shoot for an A, I'd have to distort the other parts of my life to get A's, all A's. So I'm shooting for B's. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard someone say something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, That's an option. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and, and, and not only say it, but um, put it in the context that made me realize, you know what, that actually might be smarter than any of the rest of us. And, uh, and he did, he had really good, he had really good, um, uh, I don't want to use the word balance because it's never balanced, but he had really good prioritization in his life. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so that's one way I would say to learn from your MBA is make sure you know what you want out of your MBA. And it may be A's, but it might not be A's. It might be just being really, really good at, at applying what you learn or making sure that you, you, uh, you still show love to your spouse and your kids while you're going through the process, you know, or if you're working uh, and, and learning at the same time, making sure you've got a great a balance there. So that's one. The second area I would say for that is to, um, uh, is to, uh, Take full advantage of those awesome opportunities with your professors and with um, your your fellow students. 
Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with incredible professors and with awesome students well past my MBA. Um, and uh, uh, I won't say who, but there's, there's one uh, of these people who I stayed in touch with who after uh, the MBA got a CPA, um, went on to be rather successful uh, and um, was married, had a couple of kids. And we touched bases every couple of years or so. And, and we'd help each other out with some things. And um, uh, the last time I touched base with him, well, two times ago, there was no, no response. I didn't know why. The last time I reached out to him, he had just gotten out of prison. Oh, wow. And uh, he'd made some unfortunate choices in his life. Um, uh, in business, where he got close to the line and then over the line um, from an ethics standpoint and uh, resulted in, 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 uh, in a time in prison um, and, and a divorce and loss of respect and loss of all of his financial resources. And, um, but he just gotten out. And, uh, and we had a chance to get together and I invited him to go camping and we went and spent some time together. And, uh, and since then he's doing so great. You know, I mean, he's just started a business. Oddly enough, he's making t-shirts oh, yeah. and, and he's thriving at it. And I've been able to help him with some of that along the way. And, and, uh, so, um, you know, I, I know most people, when they think of capitalizing on their MBA, they might think of how much money can I get or what promotions can I get? I just encourage people to have a broader perspective on what that looks like. Yeah. And, and that really begins even in those, uh, the days in MBA school when you're, when you're shooting for the grade, right. And, uh, yeah. those, those little decisions then. And, and I'm, I found out in college that they still give you the degree, even if you get some B's and C's. It's amazing. How weird is that? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so, awesome. Um, and this kind of parlays well into the, this next principle as far as eternal principles govern the receipt of blessings. And, you know, obviously keeping that perspective. But how, how, have, how, how does that look like day to day in your professional life? Well, um, I'll share an example of this where this really hit home for me. Uh, when I was in my undergrad program at BYU, and this was prior to starting any of those companies, we, uh, uh, some friends and I decided that um, we wanted to enhance our resumes, that our resumes were kind of boring. Hmm. And, uh, and you can join a club, right? Or a group or an association yeah. on campus. And so we thought, oh yeah, let's do that. And, and then we, someone said, but what's even better than that is to start one. So you can show that you started a club. So we did, we started, <laughs> nice. um, uh, Future Leaders of America's Market Exchange, the Flame Club, nice. and um, started recruiting for it on campus, built it up to where we had, I don't know, several dozen members, and we would meet once a week to talk about how to be, what are the principles for being successful in business that you could derive from the scriptures or from uh, modern day prophets. Huh. And that was our focus. And so we'd get together once a week and, and, and post a question that had something to do with that. And then we would discuss it and share what we had learned. And, and, uh, and I remember this is where it really hit home for me in Jacob chapter two, verses 17 through 19, where it talks about, um, uh, uh, that if you, if you, that you should seek God first, Mm-hmm. And that if you seek God first and after you seek God, and if you have ob- obtained a hope in Christ, 
And then you would seek riches for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, you know, etc., to liberate the captive. Um, the Heavenly Father would bless you with those riches. And so that was one of those principles that just re really hit me hard is that, like I said before, uh, I was money motivated, mostly because when I grew up, like, we didn't have much of anything financially. Like, mm -hmm. my parents worked really, really hard, and they became very financially successful, but it was after I was gone. <laughs> like, that's when <laughs> yeah. they would go on family trips that weren't yeah. like, you know, uh, hop in the in the station wagon and we'll, we'll drive down the road and go to the lake for a day. Yeah. But, um, uh, uh, so, you know, like growing up for me, if I wanted a new pair of shoes, I had to go earn money to buy a new pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and unless it was Christmas, and then I got a new pair of shoes that lasted me for a year. Right. right? Yeah. And um, so, I, uh, so I was very money motivated, but I, I love what that um, scripture taught because it taught me that it's okay to be money motivated if you're going to use it for the right things. Like if your intent is good and only after you have obtained a hope of Christ, in Christ. And so that became my goal was mm -hmm. to make sure that I, I sought for and obtained a hope in Christ and that I uh, sought riches for the intent to do good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that's one example of that there is a principle associated with, with every blessing. Uh, or there's a law associated with every blessing and their principles in achieving those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a few more principles here, but before we jump into those, I'm curious, maybe I know your, your majority of your focus is on the good work you're doing at RevRoad. Maybe just unpack what RevRoad is and, and what you do and, and the, the joy you're finding in that uh, adventure. Absolutely. So RevRoad is a really great uh, uh, company where we put together incredible entrepreneurs who have been successful and uh and who are very interested in paying it forward to the next generation and what we do is we help the, that next generation of entrepreneurs grow their companies uh in very impressive ways while at the same time helping those entrepreneurs keep control as long as they want to keep control of those companies and uh and along the way help them with principles that are things that we've been talking about you know service and volunteerism and uh, you know, creating jobs and all the social good that comes from them growing these businesses while, yes, being financially successful and being yeah. great with that. So we have um, uh, uh, some incredible co-founders here at RevRoad who have uh, all been entrepreneurs and helped start businesses. Uh, we have an incredible network of investors from all around the country who uh, have invested in RevRoad and, and uh, also in our portfolio companies and our entrepreneurs we work with and that help them grow. And it's just pretty special. Uh, you know, those entrepreneurs can get access to um, people who have had experience in their field or who have built very large successful companies and, you know, they'll serve on their board of advisors or as a board of director or they'll introduce them to other people that can become customers or employees. And it just, it removes a lot of friction that typically happens for entrepreneurs. And most importantly, is it prevents them from, or it prevents most of them from, uh, from failing, hmm. you know, uh, nine out of 10 companies fail. That's a, that's a true thing. Um, we're able to have a much better track record than that because we help these uh, folks have just the right resources, just the right mentoring, just the right um, skill sets, tools, referrals at just the right time. 
to get uh, past those danger spots. Yeah. Yeah, I know, you know, personally, just this road of entrepreneurship can be a lonely road. Uh, and and we sort of glamour, glamorize these stories of like, oh, I, I started in my garage, right? And, you know, and that those are cool stories. But there's something about being able to connect with a, a group of people saying, hey, why don't you join with us? Come in here. We'll focus on your on your mission and your business together. And then that that alone will keep people going, especially through those those dark and hard times. It absolutely does. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love what one of uh, our entrepreneurs said recently. He said, you know, I, I went to a funding institution and they said, yeah, we're going to give you this money and, uh, and then you're going to take that money and you're gonna, we're going to say, good luck, you got this. And, you know, we're going to cheer for you. And he said, Darren, I don't need a cheerleader that's going to pass me some coin. I need a team on the field that's going to play with me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to block and tackle and pass and, you know, that we're, we're going to strategize together and we're going to move that ball and we're going to score points together. Yeah. And that's what we are. We're instant team. Yeah. And how do you, uh, is there a, a specific industries that you sort of lean towards or how do you, because I'm sure you're approached with a variety of different companies or ideas or products. Uh, are there any principles behind that, that, that guide you towards the right fit for, for RevRoad? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we have, uh, typically between like 70 and 100 companies that apply for uh, to be a part of RevRoad every quarter, and they're applying for two to three spots, hmm. and um, sometimes four. And so it's very competitive. So what we look for is we look for a scalable company, okay, a scalable company that has the potential for high growth. Hmm. Um, we look for companies that have uh, more than one stream of revenue or potential for more than one stream of revenue. We want to make sure that that can be repeatable, so subscription-based, uh, in uh, with at least one of those streams. We look carefully at the team, at the leadership, and, and we have five H's that we measure them on: um, head, hands, heart, humor, and humility. Oh, nice! And uh, another time we can go into more detail on that, but yeah. that humility is the most important one for us. Um, you know, we, we, we look for people who are genuinely teachable and who don't think that they've figured it all out because none of us have figured it all out. Yeah. Um, but if we're all humble, we can all find the right path as we ask good questions. Yeah. So, and then we look for mar- margin profiles and we look at, um, what we call UND, the unique and, de- and defensible aspects of the business and, and how unique and how defensible, like we have about two dozen different criteria that we've built into our into our uh, quantifiable model that we rate the the companies and the products and teams on. Yeah. So I just have to ask you about one of those H's with with humor. Like, how do you measure that? Are, like, are you just looking for jovial people who aren't the uh, boring uh, spreadsheet guys or what? <laughs> no, for sure. Like, I mean, we joke around and we see if they joke around. We see if they're willing to, you know, um, be self-effacing in their humor. Uh, we want to see if they're fun. Like nobody wants to work with somebody who's just like dour and grumpy all the time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, I know that you, you know, I've had the opportunity to stop by your office. You do the variety of like, uh, you know, networking lunches. I don't know how you define it, but you have some people that come in and speak or get interviewed. And a lot of these are on uh, the RevRoad YouTube channel and whatnot. But uh, what's the like? It seems like you're just trying to stimulate some really good. Um, community in the entrepreneur world, especially in, in Utah, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, so we do a lot of things that are just uh, for free to benefit the community. Yeah. Um, uh, Reverend is the watering hole of entrepreneurship. 
And uh, we like to bring all the different um, stakeholders uh, to that watering hole. You know, investors, entrepreneurs, um, people who want to be entrepreneurs, partners uh, who support entrepreneurs, uh, educators, all kinds of different groups. Um, and, and it was interesting because when we started doing this uh, back when we very first opened our doors, um, let's just say there were um, different groups in the entrepreneurial community who were kind of territorial against each other mm-hmm. that were just shocked that we were bringing everybody together and inviting everyone to come and participate and to build uh, friendships and camaraderie. And, um, and uh, we, we are strong believers that a rising tide lifts all boats. So, you know, like even people who thought that we were direct competitors to them, we were inviting them to come and be at our events and be on our stage and participate. Uh, and they were just like blown away. And uh, it's been uh, it's been awesome because now we're all good friends and and, and they they're excited to be at these things. And, and we all work together and, and we know that, hey, you know, like like we can't bring every company in that applies to be a part of RevRoad. Um, we want them to succeed, the, the ones that can't get in. Uh, to our portfolio. So we want to connect them with these other groups and, and they send us referrals too. In fact, that's our, our number one source of, of, uh, of leads now of applicants is referrals. Wow. That's awesome. And, yeah. and I love that principle that, and I've noticed it in my own experience with, you know, just working with other nonprofits or even in the world of podcasts, like just the comp- competition that naturally comes up and then you're like, all right, I'm against you. You're against me. But when we just sort of let the walls come down and say, Hey, we're in this together. Like there's so much abundance out there. Let's see what we can learn from each other and go from there. Right. And I think that principle is perfect for even MBA students where, I mean, some of these programs are so competitive, right. And just say, Hey, we're in this together. Let's, let's all succeed. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that, Kurt, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of the exercise is, but just about every MBA school does this, where you go through this exercise at the beginning of class or your, your program, where they basically put you in teams and, and each team is fighting against the other team, competing against the other team. And it turns out that the actual answer is, is you have to coordinate and cooperate with the other teams or mm-hmm. you all lose or you all die. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a true principle. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it served me well. I know that for sure. So, um, well, uh, let's uh, a few more, and you maybe touched on some of these principles, but uh, prioritizing people, projects, and time. I'm sure this is becomes very important as you're working with a variety of different projects and people in RevRoad. So how do you go about prioritizing those those three things? Yeah, well, um, I think the first thing is, is to remember that people come first, right, always. Uh, I, I think it's easy to get... Um, a distorted perspective on that, that a meeting is more important or that, um, you know, an email or, or something else is more important when in fact, it's never more important. It's always more important to, uh, attend to the people that are, uh, in our orbit and whether they're, they're physically present or virtual, it it doesn't matter. People are most important. So I, I love to follow that principle. Um, when it comes to prioritizing, uh, it's interesting. Um, one, of, one of my co-founders, uh, Bart Scala, has often shared the fact that when the word prioritize uh, or priority was put into the uh, into the lexicon, into our language, it was singular. Hmm. And, and it's only relatively recently in the last hundred years or so that it became plural. Yeah. And um, 
and which dilutes it, right? Yeah. And the main point is that a priority is the priority, and and you you really have to do that. And so we try to teach that, like really nail one thing at a time. And you see lots of books about this, like the one thing, yeah, and, and a lot of other ones. Um, so so we do adhere to that, and we try to like work something until it is done. You know, that's the big thing. A lot of things get started, especially in entrepreneurial circles. You know, entrepreneurs are fantastic starters, mm -hmm. um, but then they'll get distracted and find some new bright, shiny object. And what happened to that thing they were just working on? Did it get done? No, it's like partially done. So our focus is work it all the way to done. Um, uh, so make sure it's the one thing, work that one thing all the way to done. And then we also, I mean, this sounds rather simple, but most people don't do it. And that is we calendar everything. We calendar every priority. Hmm. So um, like if you were to look at my calendar on a daily basis, it starts with what I do with God in the morning because that's my first priority. And so my, my own personal prayers, my own personal scripture study, before I listen to any radio or put on any music, and I love listening to music, or before any TV goes on or anything like that, that priority is, is taken care of. And then my next priority happens, which is my family devotional and meeting with my wife and kids and creating a, a great start to the day, both spiritually and, and just like mentally. Um, and, and then I go on to my next priority and like doing each of those and in order of importance um, and having them in a calendar. Everybody does what's in their calendar. Yeah. Like almost always. Yeah. So like I don't love reminder lists or uh, checklists or things because that can easily like go by the wayside, but everyone looks at their calendar and everybody goes through and does what's in their calendar. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. And that parlays really well in your, um, to your final principle is let your, let your light shine, bring the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ into your everyday life, including your professional career. And I know, you know, Clayton Christensen was such a, a perfect example of, of this. You know, there wasn't like a, a, a you know, Harvard Clayton Christensen and then a church Clayton Christensen. He was just Clayton Christensen, right? So how, how do you uh, go about doing that in your own professional life? Yeah, well, uh, he is a great example and you are a great example of that. Oh, like, go on. I mean, <laughs> no, you are. I see you doing that in everything you do. And for example, what we're doing right now, yeah. right? I mean, this is an MBA podcast, but you're keeping it centered on the gospel at the same time. And, uh, and I think that is the key is like you said, there's not a, um, there's not a church us and a professional us as much as the world would like it to be that way. We don't have to let it be that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'll, I'll share a couple of examples. Um, you know, in the, in the professional setting, it can be very difficult to know what to do in that regard. Like there's so many um, fuzzy boundaries that people don't know what to do. And uh, so like as we've worked with starting different companies and started companies ourselves, um, we've always made sure that we, we prayed when we had um, gatherings or, you know, meals together. Mm -hmm. And I love that you started our interaction today with a prayer, right? Yeah. And, um, and to some people, they see that as odd or unprofessional, or, um, you know, you can name the, the, the description. Um, uh, but we've done that in, in organizations with literally thousands of employees. Hmm. And, and inevit inevitably, we've always had people say, thank you so much for bringing that aspect here. Because we make it very apparent to them 
that we're working our butts off to succeed here, but we also know there's a lot of luck and blessing and serendipity that comes into this. And we know someone who's much better at guiding those things than we are. And we want to invite that help. Yeah. That, that heavenly assistance. And we will recognize that heavenly assistance as well. So, and, and I want to like get a little detailed on this. Um, so how do you do that? How do you do that in a situation where you have people of a wide variety of faiths, including no faith, right? Yeah. How do you do that and still make it okay? Um, so like our approach has been, um, we make sure that we have a variety of people who get an opportunity to share those, uh, those prayers, those invocations in the way that they do it. Yeah. Okay. So we have Muslims that offer prayers. We have Jews that offer prayers. We have Christians that offer prayers. We have Hindus that offer prayers. We have atheists who say, I don't really want to offer prayer, but thank you for, you know, respecting that I'm here and that you asked me if I want to. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and we've also found that there are ways to be just as descriptive from a Christian standpoint, which happens to be my faith, right? Uh, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, to pray to our same God uh, in a way that is inviting others who don't share my Christian view to feel fully included. So when I end the prayer with them, I'll end the prayer in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And every one of my Muslim friends feel 100% included. And every one of my Jewish friends feel 100% included. Because that's their God, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the same God. Yeah. Yeah. That I pray to. And so, but it's said in a way that is, uh, that opens those doors. And, and another thing that I find that sometimes is a struggle for my fellow BYU grads is, you know, just about every business setting you go to, there are, um, uh, evening receptions or open bars or, you know, at events. And what do you do in those situations? Right. I mean, mm -hmm. do, do you participate? How do you participate and how do you do it while still being at that light, that beacon? I love what elder uh, L Tom Perry told me one time he he was visiting in Mapleton and he said he would always go and find a glass of milk. He would always <laughs> find milk and he would yeah. walk that around in his clear glass to make sure everyone knew he was drinking something different and it would be this great conversation starter and he would say oh yeah i don't drink alcohol and they'd say why not and he'd say i was a member i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints uh -huh. and uh and it would be this great conversation it wasn't threatening it didn't hurt them but it also and he was there and participating and was networking but it also let him shine his light in a special way and we can do that in many many settings yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Love it. Well, um, as we wrap up here, Darren, I, I always love stopping by the RevRoad office and seeing the, the awesome companies that you're working with. I'm just curious, what, what company are you most excited about lately? Oh, uh, so many. Yeah. Like, seriously. Yeah. We have 47 companies in the portfolio now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we started this, uh, roughly four years ago and just keeps growing and growing last week. Uh, uh, journey front, um, uh, which has grown with us for over three and a half years now uh, and was valued at just, just under $2 million when they joined us and had three members on their team. They now just raised uh, at a $45 million valuation, a, oh, a big wow. chunk of cash, and are growing like crazy. People love their product, and they're helping fix uh, hiring because hiring is broken. Um, Sentient Academy, which is an incredible uh, uh, online program for learning art, um, has, has been growing by leaps and bounds and just had a big grand opening here in Provo. 
and uh, and their revenue keeps like tripling and quadrupling, and and their team keeps growing. So we're super proud of them and Keith over there and what they're doing. Um, there's another great company called Hypercraft that we recently brought on, where we uh, make electric vehicle powertrain systems, and so. You know, we're electrifying uh, uh, cars for Ken Diggett, for Ken Diggett Designs. So we're electrifying UTVs uh, for Sierra Cars. We're electrifying a trophy truck for the Baja 1000 um, and uh, 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 fleets, fleet vehicles for the, Utah, for the Nevada Department of Transportation. Um, and so that we can create a, a, a better, brighter future with less pollution in the air. Like there's so many, I encourage your, your, your listeners to go to revroad.com and click on portfolio and check out some of those awesome companies and learn about some of the, the great entrepreneurs who are there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I assume they can go there as well if they, if they have an idea for a business that, that they need some help with or are looking for investors that that's a good place to start. It's a great place. Yeah. You go there, apply if you want to be a part of the portfolio. Um, it's a great experience. Uh, even if you don't get in, you're going to learn a ton. Yeah. And, uh, and get some valuable information. Um, but also, if you're not an entrepreneur, you're just going to be uh, someone who finds a great job and you're going to be an entrepreneur. You're going to be innovative mm -hmm. within someone else's company. Still come to our free events. You know, come to Railroad University on the first Thursday of every month and uh, learn from a great entrepreneur who has started an awesome business, many of whom you, your listeners will know, you know, Weave and Lucid and uh, studies weekly and it's just like I can go down a huge list of them um, and uh, and learn something about business in a workshop and stay for the networking lunch and uh, expand your professional network and it's all free. Awesome. Love it. First Thursday of every month at 11. Awesome. Well, Darren, it's always uh, fun to connect with you both, uh, uh, you know, just learn about your business and just because you're my cousin and uh, you're awesome. So. <laughs> you too. <laughs> and uh, the, the last uh, question I have for you is if you were standing in a room full of MBA students or, or, or young professionals, uh, what final advice would you give to them? Yeah. Uh, well, it goes for me always back to the first two great commandments, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I think if there's a reason why the Savior said those encompass all the others, mm -hmm. right? And if we keep that in mind, you know, everything we're studying, everything we're working professionally to do, everything we're trying to do in our families, everything we're trying to do in the businesses that we're growing is all to give God glory and, uh, and to show love to Him and to our fellow beings as we would to ourselves. And it's okay to love ourselves as we do that. So I would just keep it focused on those things. Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guests and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society.